welcome. I am your host, Nicole Nyberg. I am a neonatal nurse practitioner and also a proud preemie mama to my son, William, who just happens to be a former 23-weeker. So if you are a current or former NICU parent, you have come to the right place. I have been exactly where you are and I know what you're going through. We will be discussing all things related to the neonatal intensive care unit for preterm and term infants, as well as some of the emotions and struggles parents endure along the way in the NICU and beyond. So tune in and get ready to become educated and empowered. This is the Empowering NICU Parents Podcast. While I make every effort to broadcast correct and up-to-date information, medicine is constantly evolving and advancing, and I continue to learn new things each day. Every NICU baby and their journey is different, and every institution varies in their practices as well. So please, always consult your obstetrician and your infant's physician for any medical issues or concerns. I am presenting from my personal experience and knowledge. My opinions do not represent that of my employers. Hello there. I am not sure if you heard, but the World Health Organization just released some updated recommendations for care of the preterm and low birth weight infant last week on November 15th. Now, these are not recommendations that come out yearly. In fact, the last release of recommendations from the World Health Organization for our specific population was in 2015, which amazingly is already seven years ago. A group of diverse experts and stakeholders from six different regions were selected and began working on these guidelines back in 2020. As I was reviewing the updated recommendations, since they are applicable to my clinical practice, I decided that they are also beneficial for all NICU clinicians and parents to know about. The entire document is around 137 pages. And if you are interested, I strongly encourage you to go and read it all. But for those of you who might like the cliff notes or summary of the recommendations with some additional insights from a neonatal nurse practitioner who also happens to be a parent of a premature infant, then this episode is for you. So stay tuned and get ready to get empowered as we review the World Health Organization's recommendations for care of the preterm or low birth weight infant. This episode of our podcast is sponsored by Neotech. Kangaroo care is such an important milestone the first time the parents get to do it and every time thereafter. The practice of regular skin-to-skin contact is essential to a newborn's development. Kangaroo care has been associated with decreased mortality as well as many other physiological benefits with temperature regulation and cardiorespiratory stability in the infant. But a recent study from 2019 by Vintner and colleagues showed that oxytocin levels increased and cortisol levels decreased for the infants, mothers, and fathers after skin-to-skin care. What this means is skin-to-skin care minimizes stress and increases the feelings of comfort and attachment leading to enhanced bonding for the infants and parents. But kangaroo care, especially in the NICU, can be quite cumbersome if the infant is attached to several different pieces of equipment and monitors. Tubing from the ventilator or CPAP interface can be very heavy and difficult to manage. The NeoGrip from Neotech Products offers an effective solution 
a hook and loop strap with a metal clip. This simple yet versatile product helps to organize and maintain tubing and wires. Gather it all and secure it with the Neogrip. Then lay the infant on the chest and clip the Neogrip to the gown or linen. It's that easy. I know when I used to hold my son William skin to skin in the NICU, they would tape all of his ventilator tubing and monitor cables with a massive amount of tape to me or a blanket. The Neogrip would have made it much easier. Neogrip is not solely for use in the NICU. This lightweight utility device is extremely handy in all areas of the hospital. It's easy to use and helps to prevent line entanglement or dislodging without damaging the linen or clothing. Best of all, it does not involve the use of tape. Neogrip is available in multiple colors to personalize for patients, color code per hospital needs, or simply brighten up the unit. It's also great for use with ambulatory patients or in-home care settings. Visit neotechproducts.com to request your free sample or find the link in our show notes. This episode of our podcast is sponsored by Undercover Mama, where innovation meets convenience. Their affordable nursing tanks with one-hand nursing access allow for easy and convenient nursing or pumping. Or shop their fashionable nursing shirts and dresses that will be staple pieces for any new mother's wardrobe. I so wish I knew about Undercover Mama and their nursing tanks and shirts when I had William. Rest assured that once you purchase from Undercover Mama, because they offer a 100% satisfaction guaranteed policy and a one-year warranty against any defects in materials or workmanship on their products. Support this female-owned company founded by two mothers that took their personal obstacles they met when they were nursing and turned it into a successful business to support all nursing mothers out there, just like you. Find your perfect nursing tank plus so much more at empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash mama. That's empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash M-A-M-A. Or find the link in our show notes. Back to the episode. Now, you may be wondering, who is the who? Sorry, I couldn't help myself. But rather, who is the World Health Organization? The World Health Organization was founded in 1948. It is the United Nations Agency that connects nations, partners, and people to promote health, serve the vulnerable, and keep the world safe. Their goal is that everyone everywhere can attain the highest level of health. The World Health Organization leads global efforts to promote healthier lives through all stages of life, from infancy to the elderly. Their team consists of over 8,000 professionals that include the world's leading public health experts, physicians, epidemiologists, scientists, and managers. Within the World Health Organization, they have different committees. The committees develop global guidelines that ensure the appropriate use of evidence and they contain recommendations for clinical practice. The guidelines developed by the World Health Organization are meant to help end users or clinicians make informed decisions on whether, when, and how to undertake specific actions such as clinical interventions, diagnostic tests, or public health measures with the aim to achieve the best possible individual or collective health outcomes. 
The Guidelines Review Committee ensures that the World Health Organization's guidelines are of a high methodological quality and that they are developed through a transparent, evidence-based decision-making process. Today, we are going to review the World Health Organization's recommendations for the care of the preterm or low birth weight infant. The Departments of Maternal, Newborn, Child and Adolescent Health, and Aging and Sexual and Reproductive Health and Research previously developed guidelines back in 2011, 2012, and 2015 for improving birth outcomes. Subsequently, new evidence has emerged regarding the most effective clinical interventions in caring for preterm or low birth weight infants. So in 2020, the World Health Organization developed a steering group that drafted the initial scope of the guidelines. From there, a guideline developmental group was created that consisted of 25 international experts that examined and interpreted the most up-to-date evidence. After reviewing the evidence from 203 studies from low, middle, and high-income countries, they developed new and also updated some of the previous recommendations to develop an updated guidance about the care of the preterm or low birth weight infant. The guidelines then went through several additional committees or groups for further review. The final guideline includes 25 recommendations and one good practice statement for care of the preterm and low birth weight infant. The recommendations, as I said, were released on November 15th of 2022. If you're listening in present time, that was just last week. And they consist of 11 new and 14 updated recommendations. The good practice statement is also new. Within the recommendations, 16 are for preventive and promotive care, 6 are for care of complications, and 3 are for family involvement and support, which I love, of course. The good practice statement was developed for parental leave, and although there was little evidence available to support it, the guideline development group felt that it had obvious benefits. Now, before we dive into the details of the updated guidelines, go and grab your free PDF that we put together so you can follow along easily by heading to empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash who or W-H-O. Okay, let's dive in. Now, initially, I was hoping to review all of the guidelines in one podcast episode, but with one of the new recommendations, I wanted to discuss it more in depth. But for some of the other guidelines, I will review it, explain it, and then move on. Either because the material is beyond the scope of this podcast episode, or some of the topics we have actually already covered on our previous podcast episodes. So I will refer you to those episodes as it applies. Okay, so for preventive and promotive care, the first recommendation, A1A, is any kangaroo mother care. It states, kangaroo mother care is recommended as routine care for all preterm or low birth weight infants. Kangaroo mother care can be initiated in the healthcare facility or at home and should be given for 8 to 24 hours per day or as many hours as possible. 
This particular guideline is labeled as a strong recommendation with a high certainty of evidence. If you are unsure what kangaroo mother care is, otherwise referred to as kangaroo care or skin-to-skin care, it is when the infant is held in an upright position with only a diaper and hat in place against their parent's bare chest. Now, we have covered kangaroo care or skin-to-skin care in several of our podcast episodes, mostly because it is a key component of neonatal care and highly recommended. But also, after my personal NICU experience with my son, William, I am incredibly passionate and believe in it and all of its benefits even more now. For the full podcast episodes on kangaroo care, go back and listen to episode 14, Kangaroo Care in the NICU, How Does It Benefit the Infant and the Parents, by heading to empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash episode 14. Back on this particular episode, I reviewed the multitude of benefits that kangaroo care offers, not just for the infant, but the parents as well. To follow up that episode, for episode 15, we focused on some of the common barriers that prevent daily kangaroo care, as well as how to assess for readiness and guidelines to safely transfer the infant. So if you have not already, I suggest you go at some point and listen to Kangaroo Care in the NICU, How to Address the Barriers, Assess for Readiness, and Transfer the Infant Safely by heading to empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash episode 15. As if that wasn't enough, I also did a literature review on the positive effects of kangaroo care for our 30th podcast episode. I told you I was a fan. So if you want to listen and learn about some of the most recent pieces of research on kangaroo care, go to empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash episode 30. And that episode was called The Positive Effects of Kangaroo Care, a Literature Review. So I'm not going to review a ton, but I just want to briefly review some of the benefits since the first two recommendations in the guidelines are all about kangaroo mother care. Kangaroo care has been associated with decreased mortality as well as physiological benefits with temperature regulation and cardiorespiratory stability. Kangaroo care is also associated with behavioral benefits, including improvement in sleep cycles, breastfeeding duration, and exclusivity, as well as an effective therapy to relieve procedural pain. And the benefits, as I alluded to, are not just for the infant. Kangaroo care is associated with improved breast milk production and improved mood for both parents. In a recent study that I like to talk about from 2019 by Vintner et al., showed that it decreased cortisol levels and increased oxytocin levels in the infant and parents after kangaroo care, which was associated with a decreased amount of stress and an improvement in attachment and bonding. For the recommendations provided by the World Health Organization, they reviewed 27 random controlled trials between 1994 to 2021 that included 11,956 infants. The studies were conducted in low and high income countries and everything in between. Their review confirmed that when kangaroo mother care was compared to conventional newborn care, there was a decrease in mortality, a decrease in severe infection or sepsis, and an improvement in hypothermia. Additionally, 
Outcomes revealed an increase in exclusive and any breastfeeding at discharge and at one to three months as well as a decrease in the hospital length of stay. I strongly support, encourage, and believe in this recommendation. As I mentioned, I did kangaroo care with my son while he was in the NICU, starting on his fifth day of life and almost every day thereafter. Initially, my husband and I would take turns, but once he was a little bit more stable, we both held him skin to skin daily, and I typically did for around six hours a day. I truly believe our daily skin to skin care is a huge component of his success. Now, the next recommendation, A1B, is immediate kangaroo care, and this one is new. It reads that kangaroo mother care for preterm or low birth weight infants should be started as soon as possible after birth. For this recommendation, the experts reviewed four random control trials for a total of 3,603 infants from both high-income and low-income countries. Kangaroo mother care was started as soon after birth as possible in all studies. Part of this recommendation came from a systematic review about what matters to families. They learned that families want to be involved in caring for their infant, and they would like to take an active role in decision-making, including skin-to-skin care and feeding. This is music to my ears. I absolutely love to hear that parents are speaking up and confidently saying that they want to be involved. According to this recommendation, kangaroo mother care should be initiated immediately after birth or after initial resuscitation if that is needed. If the mother is not available for immediate skin-to-skin care, other family members should be identified prior to the delivery and provide it. What is different with this recommendation than the previous is that the World Health Organization also recommends that preterm and low birth weight infants should also receive kangaroo maternal care as soon as possible after birth unless the infant is unable to breathe spontaneously after resuscitation, is in shock, or if they need mechanical ventilation. Now that these new recommendations have come out, each institution will need to implement their own practices regarding how to approach the new guideline. Since these recommendations are very new, I want you to know that it does take some time clinically to develop institutional guidelines that everyone is comfortable with. But most importantly, we want to change our practice in the hospital setting systematically and in a way that is safe and most beneficial for the infant and family. As neonatal providers, we always want to ensure that the infant receives the care and resuscitation that they need in a timely manner. After delivery, resuscitation for newborns is guided by the neonatal resuscitation program. For any infant that does not respond to the initial resuscitation steps with stimulation, inflation and ventilation of the lungs become the priority in newly born infants who need support after birth. Successful neonatal resuscitation efforts depend on critical actions that must occur in rapid succession to maximize the chances of survival. There was a large observational study that found if there is a delay in positive pressure ventilation or inflation of the lungs, it increases the risk of death and prolonged hospitalization. Now, with all of that said, I strongly believe in immediate kangaroo mother care. 
I personally and professionally encourage it today and practice it as long as the baby does not need resuscitation beyond stimulation, even in late preterm infants. Oftentimes, if an infant is taking a bit longer to transition but is overall stable, I encourage skin-to-skin care because that is often what positively turns the infant around clinically. But we as providers and NICU clinicians want to make sure that if further resuscitation steps are needed, that they are not delayed, as it may potentially affect the outcomes for the infant. I do like how this recommendation goes on to say that they encourage that if the infant needs to be transported to a special or intensive care unit, that the infant should be transported safely in kangaroo mother care with the mother if possible or another family member. This again will be varied within each institution, but for it to be successful, there will need to be appropriate equipment for the transport and it would need to be discussed prior to the transfer to ensure the safety and proper securement of pulse oximeters, respiratory support, and any additional equipment needed for the infant. The recommendations also touch on the importance of the infant receiving kangaroo mother care once they are in the special or intensive care units, which I obviously completely believe in. But again, each infant and their clinical condition will be different, so this is ultimately up to the NICU care team. But once your infant is stable, I strongly recommend daily kangaroo care, as the guide suggests, for 8 to 24 hours a day if possible. Part of the success of consistent kangaroo mother care will require units, despite pandemics, etc., to follow zero separation, meaning the infants in the NICU should not be separated from their mothers, especially due to shift report or, as I said, pandemics or for any other reason. This change may require some policy changes amongst leadership and governance, but it is desperately needed moving forward. Now, there are some units that are shifting to couplet care where the dyad of the ill or prematurely born infant and the mother needing medical care of her own are actually cared for together in the same room from the birth of the baby to its discharge. And lastly, NICUs need to have the space and equipment that supports prolonged kangaroo mother care to support the mother's comfort and ensure its success with reclining beds and or chairs. Okay, moving on to A2, which is mother's own milk. The recommendation says that mother's own milk is recommended for feeding preterm or low birth weight infants including very preterm or those infants less than 32 weeks gestation or very low birth weight or infants less than 1.5 kilograms. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one because I believe we all know the multitude of benefits that maternal milk provides to infants, but even more so with our vulnerable preterm population. The guideline development group considers mothers providing their own milk as the standard of care across all countries. Maternal milk confers important immune and nutritional advantages for all infants, but especially preterm and low birth weight infants. Formulas do not contain the antibodies and protective properties that are present in human milk that protect the immature gastrointestinal tract. Maternal milk should be provided through direct breastfeeding whenever possible. Otherwise, 
expressed maternal breast milk should be given. Most institutions have certified lactation consultants that will provide mothers and families with education, supplies, and support. Believe me, as a mother who pumped breast milk for almost a year, it is a commitment and not always easy, but so beneficial for our infants. But with the proper support and supplies, it increases the rate of success and length of time that mothers provide breast milk. To follow that recommendation is A3, donor human milk, which reads that when mother's own milk is not available, donor human milk may be considered for feeding of preterm or low birth weight infants. This recommendation is conditional based on shared decision-making and consent by the parents. Due to the potential harm of necrotizing intercolitis, or NEC, from infant formula, the group considered this recommendation more clinically important than the benefit of increased growth, as growth in premature infants can be slightly less with human milk when compared with formula. Many hospitals are already using donor breast milk, especially in preterm neonates, but also for term infants to bridge the gap until the mother's milk comes in, specifically with certain medical conditions like hypoglycemia or hyperbilirubinemia. Donor milk is provided through human milk banks or places where the human milk is collected, treated, and or distributed. Although donor milk has a different immune composition compared to the mother's own milk, it is still preferred over formula due to infants tolerating it better and with the decreased risk of NAC. Next is A4, multi-component fortification of milk. Fortification is not routinely recommended for all preterm infants, but it is recommended for very preterm infants or those less than 32 weeks and less than 1.5 kilograms who are receiving their mother's own milk or donor human milk. Milk fortifiers are clinically important for weight, length, and head circumference. The guideline development group noted that there was limited data on the type of fortifier to use, the timing of initiation, and duration of fortification use. The group added that those decisions should be based on clinical judgment and each institution's preferences. Fortifiers can be human or animal protein-based and contain carbohydrate, fat, protein, multivitamins, iron, zinc, calcium, and phosphorus in varying amounts. And the last recommendation that we will cover today is A5, or preterm formula. The recommendation states that when mother's own milk and donor milk are not available, nutrient-enriched preterm formula may be considered for preterm and or low birth weight infants. The guideline development group was not able to recommend a particular type of preterm formula. Preterm formula has higher energy content and protein content when compared to term formula. Specifically, Preterm formula is defined as having both an energy content over 72 kcals per 100 milliliters and protein content of over 1.7 milligrams per 100 milliliters. So there you have it, the first few recommendations from the updated World Health Organization's care of the preterm or low birth weight infant. 
As I said at the top of this episode, these guidelines were updated or created by a group of 25 experts based on evidence from multiple studies. The target audience for the recommendations range from national policymakers to implementers, supervisors, managers, to neonatologists, and nurses. The recommendations are meant to help guide and provide the most optimal care for preterm and low birth weight infants. Next time, we will continue to review the updated and new recommendations from the updated guideline, so you will not want to miss it. I hope you have found some value in hearing these global recommendations developed by the World Health Organization. As I mentioned, all of the recommendations are evidence-based, and they have been reviewed by several committees through several stages to ensure the validity of each one. Whether you are a NICU parent or a NICU clinician, I think it is important to know what the global recommendations are for the care of preterm and low birth weight infants. Next time, we will continue to review more of the World Health Organization's recommendations so you can continue to stay up to date on what is best for the preterm or low birth weight neonatal population. Remember to grab your free PDF of all of these recommendations by heading to empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash who or empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash WHO. As always, if you know of someone who would gain some value from this episode or any of our podcasts, please share it with them. For the links of the previous podcasts and sponsors mentioned in the episode, head to empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash episode 42. Thank you for tuning in to the Empowering NICU Parents podcast and have an amazing day. Remember, once empowered with knowledge, you have the ability to change the course. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Empowering NICU Parents podcast. For the show notes and any links mentioned in the episode, head to empoweringnicuparents.com. I would love to hear more from you on the topics you want to hear. So make sure you let me know in the comments section. Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode and consider leaving a rating. Five stars would be awesome so we can help other NICU families. Remember, if you have any questions or concerns with your NICU baby, please consult their medical care team. Until next time, friends. Bye.